0: This is incredible, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome inside the Spreaker to this podcast, Keeping It Real with Alex Garrett. Uh, This is incredible, incredible stuff. According to Johns Hopkins University, which is a very respectable university, I remind you, 58,365 United States citizens have died from coronavirus. What they are saying tonight is that this is the deadliest year for the United States since Vietnam. Now, I don't know how they ended up with this number overall because I know that um, sometimes these doctors are allowed to presume coronavirus. But if this is truly, truly with, with... Coronavirus tested the number. That is disheartening. And this is a war. And what we're seeing now doesn't help fight the battle. What we're seeing now, the bickering, the back and forth, this, that, and the other. It doesn't help anything. We don't want to bankrupt the blue states. We also don't. Uh, I, I don't think we should. Be okay with. Plans not starting when we see antibodies continue to be. In the positives here in New York state. There is so much of a mess going on in this country right now. And to now involve the Vietnam War. You know, it's very interesting. There is 7% as the last checked reported for PTSD. Okay. PTSD. That's crazy. This was in Wuhan, China. 7%. Think of that number here. Think of the toll on the healthcare workers. Think of the toll... We already lost a top ER doctor in this beautiful city to Corona. I'm sorry, to suicide because she couldn't handle and, and, and it was too much to deal with the coronavirus unit. I pray that number doesn't go up. I pray that people locked in don't start going stir crazy. That there is a plan to reopen. That we can get this. I mean we we spend so much money on science. It still boggles my mind. We haven't had a vaccine yet. It boggles my mind. We're supposed to be the United States of America. We have no vaccine yet. How is that possible? Which also reminds me of something. Uh, Tom Hanks has been talking about this. According to multiple sources, Tom Hanks and Rita Wilson will donate their blood to be used for coronavirus vaccine. The Hanksine is what some are calling it. That's pretty incredible. Of course, Tom Hanks, one of the first high-profile names to get coronavirus, heal from it. But how do you not love this story? How do you not love this story of Tom Hanks? That it's taking Hollywood to chip in here, which is great. But as I as I as I think of this, it constantly boggles my mind. Like we're we we're, we're spend all this money on science, and we spend all this investment in science. And the be- and I'm sorry, but the best we could do is is we have to wait for months for a vaccine. Sorry, one second. Here we go. I am, uh... Uh, I am here. (laughs) I am here. Uh, It's just... It's incredible. And this... The story I want to talk about with Ed Delgado in just a minute... Is, um... It should be intriguing to you, actually. Because they apparently did cut funding for studies, and the Obama administration put a moratorium on it for a year, which might have, which is like a, a fewfold approach to where we're at now. What I mean by that is, right now, Right this very minute, we could have been a year ahead in in preparation for this if the moratorium was not in place. According to this article that I had dug up from 2014, it's incredible that this is out there. But according to Science Magazine, the U.S. in 2014 halted funding for new risky virus studies calling for a voluntary moratorium. When they found that they could <laughs> spread a certain flu to ferrets, and lab accidents had been happening here in the U.S. CDC, and that was kind of a a thing that they've been talking about nowadays, too, Um, there was a moratorium placed, an, an end to all these studies and this science research and this is very intriguing so the line that i thought was interesting in an article written by Jocelyn Kaiser and David Malakoff um hold on one second uh they had said that the us halted funding in 2014 because of that And proponents said, you know, uh, proponents of keeping these studies together and not putting a moratorium on it would help public health researchers detect an impending flu pandemic and prepare vaccines. So my question tonight on Spreaker is simply this. As we wait for Ed, is simply this. Do we, how do you say it? Do we take another step of moratorium right now as we're dealing with the pandemic? Should it be a an altering pan, uh, p- moratorium that this president puts on f- on on funding research on testing viruses? I mean, is is there is there a possibility that if we stop testing and stop sort of experimenting in these labs and hoping nothing escapes from it, if we stop that all completely, stop those operations completely? Could this prevent another pandemic? We put a lot of stock in science and the scientists and the doctors. And I agree with that. But I also say if, if, if science can be studied to the point where a germ, a pathogen does break out. Then maybe it's time to say a moratorium should be put on it again. Because this is not uh this is not safe to in the middle of a pandemic, say we should continue doing research, doing study. no, we shouldn't we should not make a second, third, fifth wave happen if we can prevent it. not saying it'll come from lab, but I'm saying it increased the risk of more waves happening, and so the other thing is if the president put a moratorium on Uh, if President Trump put a moratorium on studies, on research, on funding for these different labs across the world, he would actually be labeled anti-science, right? He would be labeled anti-science. Now, he, he, he had missteps. He definitely had missteps here. Don't get me wrong. But the pandemic has now been documented multiple times in different administrations. And so if we didn't pause the research. Could we have been a year or could we have been a year more in preparation? If President Bush's social distancing ideas and his acknowledgement of this threat of a pandemic, was actually listened to. Could this have been prevented? It's all really... um, I would say hearsay at this point. I would say hearsay. Because I'm... uh, I'm a bit tired of seeing stories where we had known for decades that this was going to be something. But I, I seriously wonder. I think President Obama was right to put a hold on this until we got things together. till we got research. Until we got practices, safe practices for testing these viruses together. He was right on that in 2014. So why shouldn't... Um, this president put a moratorium on the funding if it can prevent another wave or five in this crazy uh, time we're in where there are so many variables. In science, they talk about variables and they talk about uh, constants, variables, factors, whatever. I mean, the, the biggest variable is that it could escape. You cannot constantly keep a virus in check because human error is possible. And so to not have the steps to get that, um, that variable under control, we should put a moratorium. By the way, Radio Hope, Mike Myers, I'm sorry about today, buddy. We'll have you on tomorrow morning. I know that. You'll get me up early. I'm sure you will because... Whew, today was rough in the a.m., but here we are, here we are, I'm hoping my friend El Delgado joins in as soon as possible, Um, but Mike, maybe you can type in the chat if you want as well, in 2014, President Obama put a moratorium on funding for labs and studies in different countries in different labs across the country and in different labs across the world. Now, While while that might have set us back, because this was 2014, wow, six years ago now, it also probably was a smart move. Because by limiting at least a year, you would hope it bought us another year. So I would say if the President of the United States now, President Trump, were to put a moratorium on funding studies, I'd be for it. <laughs> I would honestly be all for it. Because how many how many Americans out there tonight, if you're listening to this, how many Americans out there tonight truly feel that when you hear of these studies, when you hear of them testing on animals, testing on Humans, even, for for good good knows what, you know, for God's sake. Um, Doesn't that make you wonder if it's just a bunch of funding to do to keep these people in the labs across the world busy and not actually produce something? Because you never hear of lab testing. I mean, yes, the animal rights activists say, oh, this shouldn't be tested on this animal. This shouldn't be tested on this. Sure. But do we ever um do we ever stop and think, hey, let's uh completely end <laughs> let's completely end testing until we know the viruses we're testing. The viruses we the tests we are funding can be done safely, can be done routinely, can be done in a way where we don't have pandemics unleash. Those labs, I am afraid to say and I think the Obama administration saw it in 2014 they have cut the fund they had cut the funding according to science magazine. they cut the funding of these studies that might have set us back a year, but it also seemed like a wise idea at the time and then why can't a, a conservative president Do something like this. Trump or not. Why can't there be a moratorium. On stopping. These tests. Because if we do. We save lives. We have. Less cooks in the kitchen. I just. It scratches my head. How no one has talked about this. Science magazine article. From 2014 u s halts funding for new risky virus studies calls for voluntary moratorium. I'll put it up in the chat box too it's It's such a stunning development to find during this time where we're trying to combat coronavirus and I'm hoping Ed Delgado can jump on here with me in just a bit we're uh, we're waiting him so we'll have to see. And then Harry Siegel waiting in the wings, literally. Can't wait for that uh, conversation as well. Radio Hope, if you want to call us up too, that's cool. (laughs) Or I can dial you, 712-560-1420. But imagine that. Imagine that. Cutting the funding. And sending us back by the same token cutting us cutting the funding and saying no we have to get our practices together we have to get our practices in place before we start testing viruses testing dangerous bacteria dangerous material dangerous chemicals and if you have so many people doing these lab tests very likely going to be in the wrong hands don't you think I think so. So we've got that. Uh, I want to give a big shout out to the Air Force because the Air Force tonight or today did an incredible, incredible thing. They flew around Manhattan and did a salute in all five boroughs pretty much to our healthcare workers, to this city. It was beautiful to watch uh, on TV and I wish they would flown of my house over our house, but they didn't. It's all right. It's all good. But yeah, very, very cool to see that. And then the other cool thing that and thank you, Air Force, for your beautiful tribute to this amazing city. And then the other cool thing I had found out tonight or today, you know, the. 1990s movie, uh, Angels in the Outfield. Uh, Come on, who doesn't know Angels in the Outfield, right? With the big California angels flapping the wings. Al, A-L. It was a classic. Turns out that was a remake. The original was 1951. About the Pittsburgh Pirates. Young girl. Well, actually, first of all, a, a pirate manager McGovern is talking to God and and his angel guardian angel about how if he doesn't curse or spit in the umpire's face or you know do any of those things he'll he'll win. He stopped. God sure let the pirates win. <laughs> but there were some cameos in this movie, 1951, Angels in the Outfield, who uh, you might just recognize, and if you're a baseball fan. You'll totally love this as well.
1: The story became a national issue. Everyone was talking about angels. There were newsreel interviews with baseball celebrities.
2: Joe DiMaggio, Yankee center fielder. What do you think, Joe? If McGovern needs any extra angels, we'd be glad to give him a couple of ours. Ty Cobb, one of
1: baseball's all-time greats. What do you think, Mr. Cobb? Well... All I can say is that this game of baseball has certainly changed.
2: Songwriter Harry Ruby, composer of Three Little Words, America's number one baseball fan.
1: I predicted this at the start of the season when I said, heaven help the Pirates.
2: Bing Crosby, part owner of the Pittsburgh Pirates. You know, I think this angel stuff's pretty sound. Lots of
1: times folks think someone's watching over. You
0: know, I I learned today that that uh, Bing Crosby owned part of the Pittsburgh Pirates, by the way. How cool is that? So, 1951, Angels in the Outfield. Definitely got to check that out. And uh, hopefully, Ed is is ready to go. And we need angels, right? We need our guardian angels right now. We need God. We need God to tell us we're going to be okay. Or we need to see signs and... In, in in the world that are showing us, yeah, we are going to be okay. We need to understand that there are no coincidences that um, I didn't buy a shirt today because God wanted me to actually buy a gift for a friend of mine, Nick Finch, who gave me an, a nice little magnet of all the sports teams in New York City. Pretty cool, by the way. Very cool. God wanted me to redirect my um, spending to someone else because I was spending on my own. And I'm so glad I did that because it opened up a door and it helped me realize something. And I hope in your life, how is God putting the pieces together for you during this time? He is. Whether you like it or not, there are pieces being put together for everybody in this country. And I just... um. I really hope we see that. I really hope we see that. Now, my buddy Ed Delgado is ready to go, I believe. Let me see. Phone is ringing. And is my buddy Ed on the line with me? Ed, can you hear me, good friend? Hello, hello. I heard it ringing. I can't hear you, though. Can you hear me? Hmm. hmm. Let me try them on a different line. Hold on. We'll see. Hey, Ed, how you doing? Oh, here we go. Finally. Got it working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How are you feeling? Good, sir. The my best apocalypse ever. Oh man, I, I do know how it is, and uh, I know you're just prepping for your show tonight at 9 Eastern, so I don't want to take up a lot of your prep, but you know, I thought, I haven't promoted you on a Tuesday night in a while, so why not kick it around together for a bit? Yes sir. So what do, uh, you're going to be on tonight at 9, Caramel Conservative, and I don't know if you're going to use the story I sent you tonight, but maybe you will. I mean the whole thing of the funding. We have a lot of thoughts on that. What's what's your thoughts on that?
1: It's a, that's a that's an interesting one because you know I in the, and we kind of chatted a little bit about this and I, I clearly you know I'll, I'll admit when there's areas that I need to know a little bit more on and this is one of those ones where it's like I get why they're doing what they're doing. I just never knew that they were going to that this level, you know, the idea of taking a virus, taking whatever, and trying to make it a little more infectious, trying to take it, you know, to see what they would need to do to try to combat it. And it just kind of, it freaks me out a little bit just because of the possibilities of something were to escape from any of these labs around the world. But at the same time, I understand the necessity for those.
0: Well, Ed, I think, though, if if you'd agree with me that if Trump did this, he would be called anti-science. How does Obama get away with this?
1: Right. You know, so I mean, I, and I don't know if the, the current, you know, crisis that we're all dealing with, you know, has something to do with people just kind of accepting it. Um, you know, but I don't know if very many people would have, you know, too much knowledge or, or thought as to, wow, oh, they really do stuff like this. So, like, you know, in that sense, you know, it was definitely a good call on the Obama administration during his time oh, to yes. kind of scale that back a little bit. And you know, but to kind of say, you know, kind of put the kibosh now, you know, even further, it's like, okay, we need to put the to put a temporary stop on this altogether.
0: Well, so and that's what I'm wondering. Do
1: is kind of let something else figure.
0: And do we do it now? I mean, why? I, I have a feeling, Eddie, Ed Delgado, our caramel conservative, our buddy. Mike's on the line as well. Mike is, uh, Watt listening in. So gotta love Mike Myers. Um, but, Ed, but Ed, I gotta believe that, uh, maybe this should, that, that we're still testing things even throughout this pandemic. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you think that's a possibility?
1: Oh yeah. I, I, I have no doubt that that certainly continues. Um, And maybe not to the scale that it was before in the past, because they probably have rededicated a lot of resources to dealing with the current crisis. But I don't think any of the other stuff has been completely halted.
0: Right. And and therefore, I mean, we both kind of see it that maybe a moratorium on it for for a longer period of time is what we need in this time. Completely end funding of all this stuff. But I don't know, maybe defunding the WHO right now is, is one step at a time. Now, you look at the things through a, through, <laughs> through a cultural lens, and what's your cultural lens talking to you about? What are you seeing through that lens right now?
1: Well, and it, to me, it's kind of interesting because one of the reasons when I, when I started this show, and it's kind of deviated a little bit off that, was kind of taking a, taking a look from the perspective of a conservative Hispanic perspective here. It's just you know, the world as a whole. Um, but as time's kind of evolved, it's more of a, how does just people in general, how do we view these things? And I almost, it's almost like the culture's kind of shifted for me. It's become the individuals that, that can versus the individuals that are virtual signaling, that are victims. And I'm watching this whole thing unravel right now. And it's been one of those things that's been weighing on me over the past couple of weeks I get it. If you got underlying health conditions, you know what? Get your protective gear. Do what you got to do. You know, I got got nothing to judge you on as far as that's concerned. But so many people that go out there and they're wearing these masks and gloves and everything else, giving dirty looks to the people that aren't that are just panicking. It's almost like I'm watching a culture of cowardice just evolve right in front of our eyes.
0: Well, I want you to expand on that because one of the things you feel is a cowardice move is wearing the masks. And I know that you pointed out how no one has been wearing them on the leadership level. And we can now loop Michael Michael Pence, Vice President Pence in that. I mean, he did not wear a mask at the Mayo Clinic. And I'm just like, what the heck is going on with that?
1: would wear it i would think at a clinic hospital some kind of medical center that's kind of where you would want to do it
0: and it would sort of set the model for us to actually follow through wouldn't it
1: uh, you would think you know so you know, it was kind of interesting too you know you mentioned that during the pressures, you know that they didn't you know they're not wearing masks or anything else and do you ever notice too that you know the social distancing as it were non-existent
0: well, let me tell you, let me ask you about that. So, I love that the Air Force was flying over our city, but did you see tons of people crowding together? Like, no one stopped that. I thought that was kind of bizarre in this time.
1: Well, it's funny because, I mean, if you get something like that and you can see chats, you know everybody's going to want to go out and check it out because it's like, you know, watching, I don't care, if it's jets, a Cessna, whatever. It's going to bring a little sense of normalcy to the chaotic time that we're in.
0: And I was thinking to myself, are we Memorial Day now? Is that where we're at? (laughs) Uh, Makes you wonder,
1: makes you wonder. Hey, what's the situation for you guys for the uh, 4th of July?
0: I don't know. The mayor wants to do fireworks. And I'm going to ask my next guest, Harry Siegel, because he commented about that in his Daily News article, which I had shared with you, about that. Specifically, and I don't know how we're going to do a safe, low cost, uh, you know, non social distancing fireworks display. I'm almost wondering if they're going to put it on Zoom for everybody. You know, it's just going to be, <laughs> I, I don't know how that's going to work.
1: It's going to be kind of like a messed up version of like, you know, Dick Clark's New Year's Eve, and you know, you, you have people all over the place that used to watch that. Um, but I, I, I it's kind of interesting because I'm also noticing at the same time, like, uh, here in Wisconsin, Milwaukee, they're canceling the fireworks altogether. together.
0: The Piggly Wigglies I mean,
1: which I think you the Piggly Wiggly. They, I think, they might be the sponsor. Of that it's very possible. I mean, but yeah, they're canceling the fireworks all together down in Milwaukee. They call it the Big Bang, July third. Yep.
0: Well, I'll tell you a quick story about that. I was in Milwaukee. I was in Milwaukee the night of the two thousand five or six Piggly Wiggly fire. I think it was two thousand five on a project for the Jason Project, which, which was actually founded by Dr. Bob Ballard, who found this, the shipwreck of the Titanic. Pretty interesting there. But, but I was in Milwaukee that week, and we had gotten a window seat to the fireworks uh, from University of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Uh, University of Wisconsin, Milwaukee's facilities. So I remember that very well. It was very cool.
1: right there, short of being like under the viaduct or at the summer ground.
0: I've got to show you in uh, Humboldt State Park. I've got a picture in the water, so I've got to send you that. It's somewhere out there, and in the shores of <laughs> of the river out there, so it was, it was very cool. I went kayaking, I went boating. Oh my goodness. Talk about a vacation, yet an educational one at the same time.
1: Well, and that's the thing, where places, you know, like Wisconsin, Minnesota, Georgia, New York, there's all kinds of great things for everybody to do, and I've gotten this feeling that ever since all these government crackdowns, these lockdowns, and everything else, people aren't really having the chance to enjoy them. I mean, at one point, you know, I think it was, was it Michigan? Michigan or Minnesota, I have to pick that up, but the idea of even having a motorized boat on the water was a no-no. Mm. But you could have a paddle boat. Well, How are we going to be able to enjoy these things if we're being locked down on on essentially
0: everything? But yet we're seeing the actual, you know, governmental things where they still do it. Like, let's say Jones Beach calls right. off the air show, yet they did an air show today. So what's the difference? You know, <laughs> I don't see a difference. So I get what you're saying on that. Hey Eddie, I know that you're. Uh, I I would love to keep going, but I know you got to prep for the show. And um, my next guest is waiting in the wings. But I'm so glad we got a bit to talk about. What are you going to talk about tonight on your Car- Caramel Conservative at 9
1: p.m.? Oh, man, we got a couple of things here. You know, we got We're going to talk about the apparently Congress isn't going to be going back to work. Uh, Steady Hoyer made his announcement so that, you know what, hey, we're not going back next week, and uh, we'll let you know when we decide to come back. So I kind of got some issues here with that. Um, you got this Harvard professor that wants to ban p- homeschooling. Oh. Because apparently. Having your kids around is dangerous.
0: Oh, I heard about that. That is, ri- so, I mean, that is you know, that man. is ridiculous. That's so ridiculous. And have they been fired I for really that my commentary?
1: Favorite person, my favorite What's that?
0: Have they fired that professor yet, or is he like to the front of the line now, in the awards process?
1: <laughs> you know, that's a good question. And the probability is very high. It's in the latter. Yeah. But I was going to talk about my favorite person, AOC. Oh yeah. Well in an economy where we have millions and millions of people out of work, she's encouraging people to not go to work once
0: they go get their jobs back. Well before I let you go, my goodness, you and I were kinda of going back and forth. Yeah, I think the Democrats are right to call out for the hazard pay. Um, why hasn't that been funded now through these multiple bills that we've been passing?
1: Billions of dollars. I get hazard pay for TSA, I get hazard pay for INS and and everybody else like that. You know, if you're a frontline worker, I totally understand that. But how far are we going to go with it? Because at what point are we going to completely devalue our dollar?
0: I mean, we're now billions spent in, and I don't know how we're going to get all that money back. I'm not sure what the heck the plan is for that. Your guess is as good as mine unless taxes do go up under the Trump administration to try and cope for all this, or a local, I don't know exactly what's going to go on. But...
1: Uh, between all this here and the proposal for a guaranteed income,
0: and you, I mean, just keep, keep adding it up. And that's the, the problem, really, right?
1: So I mean, the numbers, right. The number, you can't even fathom those numbers.
0: But I was going to say, the problem is they're now getting away with their agenda, and that has to be the big the big point that we have to all hammer home if we want civil liberties and constitutional rights. Mm-hmm.
1: You know, and speaking of that, you know, you got all those protests that were going on and stuff, and I got to give a big hat you know, to those guys, because you know what, at least you're standing for something. You know, and I don't want to minimize anybody who had up one pass away. You guys in New York obviously caught the brunt of everything, but at the same point I think we have to look back on the words of Ronald Reagan you know when he talked about you know if we lose freedom here mm. there's no other place to go there is no escape this is it
0: Eddie they're they're already protesting in New Jersey I'm surprised the New Jersey capital seem protesters now so
1: all right New Jersey uh, what was it here in Wisconsin California surprising?
0: And I think all cities of the boroughs here, all boroughs of the city, have done it. So it, it, you know, the the, the the quote unquote blue states are catching on. Let's put it that way.
1: Right. I mean, it would be nice to go back to the days of just simply just over policy instead of seeing, you know, what we're gonna have to fight for our freedom versus dealing with a soft tyranny. Hmm. Yeah, because everybody knows soft tyrannies only last so long.
0: Well, let's not let them get too much control of us. I still say a special election for New York to reopen instead of having them decided, but that won't happen. So that's like a pipe dream, I guess. But we can't dream. Yes, we can. And that kind of is helping me get me through this whole debacle, if you will. And I'm sure yourself, how are you doing through all this? How are you feeling? How are you getting through it?
1: No, I'm hanging in there, man. I mean, work is still work. You know, nothing's really changed there. As a matter of fact, it's been an uptick in what I do. Um, you know, I come home. I mean, no, we don't really go out too much to begin with. I mean, it. You know, it's kind of all good that way. But you know, I feel I have worked with a lot of businesses that that they are they're hurting. You know, and I see it all over our communities, all over these small towns. You know, and. That's, that's what I want to see. I want them back up and running, you know. Mm. Don't give me another 200000 2000 whatever, my money stimulus check. Get those businesses up and running. You because know, those are
0: the people that need it the most. Well, you know? guys, if you by the way, if you like this message, you want more of it, you'll get it tonight at 9 p.m. on Caramel Conservative, 9 p.m. Eastern on Spreaker. Hey, man, thanks for joining me and previewing tonight, and we'll be listening. All right. Thank you, brothers. You got Thank it. You soon. And where can people follow you really quickly on Twitter and all that good stuff?
1: Ah, yes. Okay, so you can certainly find me on Facebook. I got that um, the Caramel Conservative Podcast. I so just kind of looked that up on Twitter. I'm there at uh, Mr. Ed 1776 And then uh, we just unveiled a new website here. I got a couple of shows that I'm in the works with the uh, primary one on the Caramel Conservative. That's all going to be under uh, Plus Ultra Media
0: dot com very cool Pulsar uh, Pulsar Plus Ultra Media I can get that confused plus, a little bit Plus, plus Ultra Media. all right well um, he has positivity yeah, uh, that? he looks at the plus side he looks at the real side he is the caramel conservative and so Ed Delgado <laughs> thank you so much and we'll have you back on for sure yes sir thank you you got it and now my uh my next guest this evening a bit of a switch. We're going to talk press briefings now and how all three of them, Cuomo, de Blasio, and um, <clears throat> President Trump have taken up our airwaves. And Harry Siegel, well, thanks for joining. But first, I just want to remind the listeners, um, well, this. For transparency purposes, I just wanted to preface this interview by saying we had uh, able, were able to get Harry Siegel... The editor of the Daily Beast and a columnist at the New York Daily News about the article I referenced on Sunday night about Cuomo de Blasio and Trump's briefings. When we recorded it, the White House had announced they were going to, the president announced he wanted to cancel the briefings. Well, wouldn't you know it, two hours after announcing that, they then brought it back on and he was on the TV again uh, on Monday night. So I've sort of pared this interview down to where we start about why these the president the governor and mayor de blasio have to do this trifecta of briefings every day and uh harry siegel welcome inside thanks for joining and and indeed why do these leaders feel like they have to be on our television every day so much so that they don't want to cancel a briefing uh and come back on our television
2: so i think it's very hard for any of these people to turn away from free airtime, current media. Like very hard. Um, you know, Trump was plainly using these in place of his rallies. And regardless of the competence or lack thereof of the government response, you know, it was fairly clear that he was just making this up as he went along day to day, that he didn't tend to have a command of the facts. He didn't tend to have a particular reason that he was doing these, and that came through um, in his style of, of presentation. Regularly, I would argue, um, and his view was: these, these are my rallies now. So I have to say some stuff. I have to bring up a couple doctors, and then I can, uh, you know, shit on a couple members of the press and, and call that, uh, you know, and, and call that a day. And that, that was especially important for him because. There's this invisible enemy that even as he's set and reset expectations, 200,000 dead, 2.4 million dead left in the Civil War. If we get up to 60, that's going to be a miracle. Um, he's needed some tangible enemy who he can he can hit it, and he's sort of used the press for that role. Locally, our Democrats, Cuomo in New York, who are at the epicenter of the pandemic here, right? Mm-hmm. And so perversely, they get more screen time because the problem is so bad and Cuomo in particular has been widely praised for his response and for these briefings, they want to demonstrate, they want to perform that they're basically transparent and on top of this and honest, but it's still a performance. And you get this with Cuomo's deflections about the nursing homes, his like long soliloquies about his family. He's also trying to take advantage of this TV time and be the face of the response. And even more so, by the way, Because for Democrats and people who don't like or trust Trump, they need some some alternative. In an interesting way, it's like the dynamic Rudy Giuliani had immediately after 9-11, when when the president seemed initially overwhelmed, so two Republicans there. And he was able to, you know, come before the microphone and speak with some dignity and some grace and some command of the uh, the facts at a time when those seemed— really frightening and uncertain and we didn't know what was coming next so so that that, that, that's a performance role but like fundamentally i don't think we need any of these politicians up and talking every day at great length they're not just delivering the numbers they're not just answering press questions they're sort of hijacking this crisis to to give themselves these uh these outlets and these forms in ways that are unhealthy and then they start spilling over into each other. Mm. So Trump is using clips from Cuomo's pressers at his pressers before he canceled them, at least for the time being. Um, and, and, and this becomes uh, this becomes a form of uh, some, somewhat absurd. The truth is, none of them have command over what's happening. That does come down to a bunch of, of doctors mm-hmm. and epidemiologists and, and 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 nerds who are not interesting and are not presenting all of this as a simple clean narrative well, and looks, they have to give space to these, these talkers who, who I would very much like to see go
0: away. Talking with Harry Siegel he's an editor at the Daily Beast and he is a NY Daily News columnist uh, Harry this whole flip flop of whether to do a briefing or not do a briefing then do a briefing on Monday night comes at a time where the visibility of Dr. Anthony Fauci is very limited. Is he doing these cancellations and restarts to kind of distract us from that notion? Because that, that, that uh, factor of Fauci not being there is being noticed even more nowadays.
2: I, I mean, the, the, the credible serious scientists who show up at these are, you know, politicians are spending off of their credibility. Um, and to the extent that they need to be the front men of this show, it, it creates these sorts of absurdities. And so who gets to speak on any given day, who you're rotating up or down, uh, who you're getting upset because they're getting more praise than you are. Like, th- th- mm. these are recurring problems. But again, like, finally, th- this comes down to big administrations and operations. And the front people of these who want to brand themselves as the face of that response, betting that things are going to get better, and that the consequently that's in their interests, you know, are, are eating up the space where-, where these people with real credibility could be. And when you start rotating them in and out, as Trump has done, so it's a different set of experts every day, and it's another way of tracking who's up and who's down in Trump world. Um, it, it really does eat into their credibility, and you've seen this, I think, at a few points, particularly with Dr. Burks and like her willingness to explain. Like with the bleaching and sunlight, when she said it's very troubling because we're trying to give the public confidence, and we can't do that if we're still talking about what the president said on Thursday, he's the president if he says something like that, that 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 that's a big deal and particularly one who isn't all that concerned with proxies and channels generally speaking and so when somebody who has their own credibility tries to give him cover even if they won't say anything they know is false they're they're they're, they're actually diminishing their own confidence the, the confidence the public has in them over time um by, by, by trying to offer that sort of cover. And so you can see how instead of the, uh, the scientists lifting the politicians up, and you can trust what they're saying because you know that they're deferring to expertise, even as they have to make command decisions. You end up with the, uh, with the politicians dragging the, uh, the scientists down. Uh, you could say similarly in New York with Cuomo, Dr. Zucker, and, and, and their alibi now for why th- everything that's happened in the nursing homes isn't their fault, mm. which just doesn't hold
0: up. Well, you know, you did a couple of things, uh, a couple of interesting points that I want to bring up. First of all, you've kind of gotten into it, but you call these bits. And remember, these are supposed to be very informative press conferences. How do you think it's become a bit? Like, explain on that portion of your
2: article. The informative part is straight numbers, and you could simply release those online and then take questions 20 minutes later once people have time to look at them. You could just list those at the start. You could list any really significant developments. I'm putting out this new executive order right at the start um, and then move on Uh, what you're having instead. And each of these politicians has handled this a little differently are just lengthy uh, uh, portions that are meant to, 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 to show their own humanity, to express how they're feeling, to tell New Yorkers how they should feel, which is a real habit of uh, de Blasio's and changes all the time. Incidentally, how, how it is he saying New Yorkers should feel so that there's just, just a real, if, if you're there to find out how many people have been hospital, hospitalized, how many ventilators are in use, how close the medical system is to getting overloaded, and you don't have that information 40 minutes into this, mm-hmm. some, some, something is seriously wrong. Um, Trump's have been so different day to day, it's hard to, 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 to formalize what the bits are. Although, again, the, 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 the attacks on the press, which are utterly with rigor and often reporters he speaks with offline frequently. Right, yeah. you know you're you're going to be my 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 prop for today, and I'm going to tell you how stupid your question is and how disgraceful your outlet is. Um, pretty much unrelated to the question that's being asked. It's just a way of saying you know I'm 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 the president. I'm in control here.
0: Well, you know you're it's, you're it's with pathetic. you're you're with the Daily News, right? And you've just written this big piece, and congratulations on it. It's a very good, well written piece. Our leaders and our lives. Trump, Cuomo, and Daily De Blasio's Daily Coronavirus response performances. Harry Siegel is on the line with me today, and and uh, Harry, I've, the other thing that you were talking about was the writers, um, as part of this. Uh, explain that part. Like you say that there are writers writing this kind of thing for the leaders. Is that right?
2: I, I was trying to compare this to a to a television show and the showrunners and the people have to sort of twist up who, who the characters are and 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 what's going to happen and keep people staying tuned as things develop but there are parts of this that are very written so you know cuomo has these powerpoint presentations to make his message very uh very plain and very straightforward and those have for various reasons gone viral i think in part is there's no sports or other live entertainment and this is content for people to riff off mm-hmm.
1: uh,
2: and they are um but these are scripted and i'm not entirely faulting that i don't want What you often get with Trump, which is a guy just going up and saying, rambling some stuff.
0: Mm. Well, de Blasio, too, you take issue with, because he's up there for an hour and a half as of Monday, and who knows how long he's going to go up there. And uh, you just say this is a chance to get people to hear his own voice.
2: So de Blasio today said that he's going to open up now about 40 miles of street space for, uh, for, for pedestrians, because there's so few cars out and eventually 100 miles. This happened after um, the city council and Speaker Corey Johnson pressed for this, and then finally said, Corey said, look, if you don't do this, I'm going to ask the governor to get involved, who, as we know, loves to to bigfoot de Blasio. So the funny thing is, de Blasio has been dragged, kicking and screaming into doing this. My view is opening up some of these streets when there are many, many West cars in use, and you don't want people crowding, in parks or in playgrounds or in other places is probably a reasonable thing to do, even if it's not the first priority. And I think the, uh, the war on cars set has as you know, like, like lots of people, they're using a crisis to push an agenda. They already had. Um, but it's funny in that the Blasio was dragged into doing this Hmm. and, and, and effectively forced. And I'm sure if this goes well, we'll be, uh, bragging about it in a month, and now his initiative is working wonders. But that's just politicians 101, all of them. When things go well, they become their things. And when things go badly, it's uh, we tried to tell the nursing homes. We tried tried to tell tell the states.
0: And we tried to tell the federal government, that kind of whole thing that they they say during the day. Now, uh, Harry, there was – well, I love the line about the fireworks. It's like, yeah, we can have a low-cost, safe fireworks display. That was a kind of good – Jab at the, the mayor on that one.
2: De Blasio, he didn't want to cancel the St. Patrick's Day parade. He was really sad that the bars were closing. He told everyone, go out and get one last round now, making sure to maintain spacing. you know. Uh, and, and then out of the blue, he said, we're going to have fireworks for the 4th of July. He got asked about this. He said, I doubt it. And then the next day, he said, I talked to the uh, head of Macy's is, you know, laid off almost all of their 130,000 employees, and there's going to be fireworks. Don't worry. Mm-hmm. And then you know, people are asking about this: uh, Is that really the best use of money? Is that a good idea? Uh, aren't the police going to have to keep people from gathering in crowds for this? And he said, "Oh no, no, details are coming, but this is going to be yeah a safe, low cost, and 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 uh, and, and wonderful fireworks uh, display to mark this sacred day." Like that's that's crazy. Hey, and, and there's just oh. an incoherence there.
0: Hey, so why are people still falling in love with Cuomo even after day whatever of these briefings? Why are people still falling in love with him? What is his, what is it about him that people have literally made it a lunch date with Andrew Cuomo?
2: He's not Trump. We can start there. Um, he projects and has worked for many, many years on projecting like a certain aspect of, uh, of, of confidence and control that people are really thirsty for in the midst of all this, and significantly, like, look, every sector of the New York economy comes down to the decisions that, that, that these three guys are making. So if you work at a university and you're trying to figure out if it's going to open in the fall, and if not, if maybe your tenure-track job is gone or you're uh, you're going to be weighed off from your janitorial job, what these guys say matters. Um, so people are bored and other ends. they you're getting engaged in politics and the bad like sports way because there aren't other entertainments to watch for some people. And for many, many others, the things these guys announce could have huge impacts on, on their wives and how they're sorted uh, myself included. So, so it's difficult to, uh, to turn away from. And, uh, you know, with days that are sort of like vacuums in certain ways and without a, a schedule to maintain, or I'll see you later, just regular greetings and normal things disappearing having some sense of what's coming is information people are really really hungry for and if you can present that well that's not necessarily the same as leadership that's that's again it's a performer it's a sort of performance it's like thinking the uh the newsreader makes the news but the people who are doing that become voices people turn to and trust and in this case the newsreaders are making some of the big decisions and so hearing what they have to say is something that, that is hard to Hard for many people to avoid. My, my simple argument is deal with the stuff in your own life. If they do anything that's important, you're going to know about it very shortly. You're going to get a text alert. It's going to be in the paper the next morning. It's going to be in the, uh, reading the news at 6. Um, and the, the, the tuning in for these things is, is is a little absurd. It's actually distancing people from their own lives and what they should be concerned about.
0: So you're saying, in other words, like these briefings can kind of be a time suck because it doesn't have a consistent structure of flow.
2: just i think for a lot of the people who are watching that, that this is a a sort of diversion and that the most of the information in it is not actually imported to them and it's shifting day to day with circumstances and that watching it for a feeling of control is, is a little like smoking to uh the, is anxiety mm. like like you you're actually adding to the problem you you, you think you are solving
0: mm. now you read for the daily news and this is honestly one of the first pieces i've seen in the news that's very um, Hard line against everyone. I, I'm guessing the Daily News, like everybody else, is tired of it. So what? What inspired you to write this? Because we haven't had that analysis anywhere else. I'm tired of
2: everyone, and I, 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 my bosses at the news on the opinion page are very nice and solid about letting me write what I think. Um, I, I don't think that having these daily performances is 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 good or healthy or helpful. And uh, th- that's on all levels. I don't think de Blasio is the same as Cuomo is the same as Trump, but I think there's a lot of uh, common DNA in how they're handling this and the benefits they think are there for uh, for doing it this way. And I wanted to call
0: some of that out. Hey, so what, what is your recommendation for alternatives? Because I'm I'm, I'm kind of wondering now that you think this is not good for us, what is healthy for us? I mean, obviously you say the apps, but people want news now. So what's the best way, aside from turning on the TV, That we can truly soak in the information and live our lives at the same time.
2: Read a newspaper, log on to Twitter once a day for half an hour, and and see what flows past. Uh, Anything other? We've had many crises that have not demanded daily briefings from every level of government giant ones, um, and, and, and especially one that, that, that's ongoing and lasting for weeks and weeks. I, I think this is actually part of the early response, and, and suddenly there's all this attention centered there, and the rest of society has shifted, and it's, it's almost like a market opportunity. Uh, I just I don't think, that again, that anything good or healthy comes from having these guys up every day, um, you know, you know, needing new developments to uh, tout. Um, they can simply put out these numbers. They should take questions from the press several times a week. I, frankly, I think those questions would be better at every level uh, if the, those weren't broadcast. Uh, you know, it makes people perform when they're asking. And uh, and then you, 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 you can tune in if you really think it's urgent that you know this and otherwise you, you read about it later and that's perfectly fine.
0: Well, right. And that's the other thing is that I was also hesitant of completely ending, you know, completely having networks decide what to air or not. I think information should be held no matter what they say. Would you agree with that if these briefings were to continue? Like, no one should truly pull away because that's not helping either.
2: I, I, I think that's such crap. Uh, like, CNN posting Trump and then a Chiron about how uh, Trump is doing propaganda? Like, it's ridiculous. Um, either something is worth broadcasting or it's not, and and it's hard to separate as Trump liked, liked to note when he was doing these, the commercial considerations and the ratings uh, from from the, the newsworthiness of the the, the content um, you know, for TV, this is a way to get stuff on the cheap and at a time when you don't have reporters out in the usual way, or when you don't even have anchors coming in, in a lot of cases, it's like great, we'll just broadcast this guy and then riff about it mm. So, so I get that as a Business consideration, um, but I think it's very hard to justify as a news one. And the idea what well, we'll pick up Trump unless he says political stuff and then we'll pull away is just it's past absurd.
0: What can the media do? How can they be more responsible during this whole thing?
2: They can use their vast resources while they still have them to report news. They can monitor these things, send reporters to ask questions and report on it later. If they're aware that there's really significant news that's coming out, you know, pick that up, put in that little part live people are desperate to watch this, they can go online to do so. I understand again, why as a business consideration, the networks don't want to do that. Uh, but just turning over your airwaves to politicians who've dreamed about this sort of stuff for a long time, just having their own distribution channels and not having to, to, uh, to, to have, you know, the media's any sort of the, the news networks of, of any sort of filter. And now suddenly this is just getting handed to them. It's absurd. Um, you know, these are meant to be, uh, two different teams, and when their interests seem to converge to this extent, like something something is fundamentally broken, I just think the news business was already not in great shape. Like every other business has been damaged by the coronavirus, and so they're, they're trying to figure out what works day-to-day, not thinking mm. much about month-to-month or year-to-year, and uh, I, I think this will damage confidence in, in, in how they're perceived over the, the long haul, like just giving your space up to, to politicians to say stuff at great length uh, is not really a uh, uh, a news function. Well, no, and it's not. people really want that. They have, they have C-SPAN.
0: Yeah. Well, this has, that's true. C-SPAN airs all this long-form stuff, not really local news. Um, but I also understand why they do it because I need to get information out. Now, has um, how do you like the idea of them trying to be optimistic yet cautious? Because that's one thing I've noticed now even de Blasio saying, hey, we have some optimism here. Um, is that too soon, or is it right to say, hey, there's some hope on the horizon? What are your thoughts on that whole thing?
2: I'm not a doctor, man. Like, I'm definitely not an epidemiologist. I, I, I think when you go out and have the message every day, the shifts in them become really telling. Going back over the transcripts becomes really telling. These shifts do. And the simplest way to deal with that is to speak less often.
0: Mm. And how should, uh, how are writers dealing with this whole thing Cover How do you like the way the, the writers and those writing about all this are, are doing when talking talk about these briefings?
2: It's difficult. There's not often all that much to say given the massive ratings. These largely speak for themselves. Um, calling out what's ridiculous about them, particularly with the, uh, with the president, who, who I think has been the, the, the wildest and the sloppiest with the information he's put out day-to-day and over time, Um, I I, I don't know how much value that has if people are just getting the thing directly all the time. Uh, I'm not sure what the uh, commentary adds at this point. Mostly, I think it's very healthy to have, again, the paper trail from these guys that they have to speak, they have to present information, they have to answer questions. I think the, uh, the stagecraft around that, the elaborateness of it, and televising it are all real mistakes.
0: Well, and uh, we, we might see that come true. And a friend of mine pointed out that their questions are not as hardballed to Cuomo and de Blasio. Are you seeing that, that there's more hardball at the president than there are of the governor and the city, uh, mayor of the city?
2: No. Um, I, I, I think the tone is sometimes less hostile, but they're not playing a game of, of, of uh, you know, staged kabuki anger toward the press all the time or sincere anger. I, I think it is a state, staging of sincere anger with, with Trump. But no, the, the questions are often difficult. They're more difficult for Cuomo because those reporters are in a room and they're not as easily cut off. The Blasios, you know, they're videoing in. You know, he's limiting the number of questions per person, but they're both getting asked difficult and sometimes embarrassing questions on a uh, daily basis, same as anyone who's dealing with this is because there is no perfect way to respond. If you want to stand up and be like, I'm the leader, I make the choices, I'm a, i want to be held to account you know that's nice and it's nice to say that every politician likes to say that but the issue is you then get held to account
0: Mm. we know this is going to change everything harry this whole thing so how does the media change after all this when there are no briefings to do, what is their next step to try and be relevant um for people that are now on their phones more likely than watch tv
2: don't know like the the, the economics of the news business are in bad shape. Um, Places like the Daily Beast, where I work as an editor, you know, have shifted more and more into membership models to reduce the reliance on advertising. That seems helpful. I don't know if that is as large or robust an economy. It supports as much news gathering as uh, the old advertising model did. Uh, But that was already dying, and uh, the virus is clearly accelerating that trend. Um, You know, that's one of the, the... Many questions about what the world is going to look like at the other end of this, whenever and whatever that turns out to be and mean, uh, that are urgent but very difficult to uh, to sort out. Now, I'm I'm not on the business side, but uh, the economics of news are not good, and uh, that there's not much. uh, There aren't many bright rays on the horizon for it.
0: Well, we're talking with Harry Siegel. Very interesting column about our daily briefings. And um, I don't know, would you, have you, if you're tired of it, have you not even wanted to ask a question or video in to any of these conferences, say, hey, what's going on? Or has that crossed your mind to actually ask a question at these briefings from afar? I,
2: I've, asked, I've asked a few of de Blasio, who is, again, the one of these three who's been doing these remotely. Um, and, I, I stopped calling in because he stopped taking my like, questions after a couple of days. So I've just been putting them on Twitter so other reporters can ask.
0: But that's not right. I don't think he should ignore your questions. He should take everybody's questions, shouldn't he?
2: I suppose. Um, again, th- th- these are exercises in management. I don't know, stage management. I don't know why he didn't. I know that the timing is difficult for me because I'm on a story call with the Daily Beast while trying to listen to the mayor's pressers while also on hold to ask a question. And it's a, it's a fair amount to sort. But I'm very uh, happy that my, my colleagues in the press corps and at City Hall, you know, are are continuing to uh, to monitor, to listen, to ask good questions every day and to make sure he's he's held to account for what he's saying and doing.
0: Hey, uh, Harry Siegel, where can people find you and, and what resources besides alongside writing Are you providing for people during this time?
2: So you can find my writing at the uh, Daily Beast, where I'm an editor, and at the Daily News, where I'm a columnist. The Daily Beast has put down its paywall for all coronavirus news coverage. So there's lots there that that, uh, everyone is, is very welcome to read. And if you're enjoying it, I hope people sign up and become members you can also find a lot of very useful information on the uh, briefings and on things New Yorkers can be doing right now with the uh, podcast. I co-host faq.nyc mostly from our executive producer Alex Lin. Mm.
0: Well Harry Siegel, thank you so much. There's so much more to get to but I know you got to run in your own. you got to do other things and thank you so much for joining taking time out today. But uh, Harry, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh
2: My name Harry Siegel. S I E G E L at Twitter.
0: All right, we will uh, we will follow you there. Thanks so much, and have a great rest of your day. And please keep us posted on what's going on.
2: Thank you. Be safe.
0: Thank you. This has been uh, another edition of Keeping
2: Real with Alex Garrett.